You're listening to Just a Pinch Podcast with Injector Kristen. Join me and industry experts as we discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly of the aesthetics, wellness, and fitness industries. Recording. Okay, welcome back to Just a Pinch Podcast. I am here today with Philip Pape from Wits and Weights. Welcome, Philip. Happy to have you on. Kristen, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited for this. Awesome. So, Philip, tell me a little bit about your background. Yeah, well, I'm a I'm a certified nutrition coach, but the story really took four decades to get there because my my background was more in engineering and management, and it was only in 2020. When I was working from home and I was get, you know, a little bit overweight, I had struggled with not only weight, but nutrition with um, training for quite a few years. I did CrossFit for about eight years with Romeo Athletics, mm-hmm. um, which we're, we're all um, partners and collaborators with uh, Andrew over there. And CrossFit was a lot of fun. It helped me get in uh, shape to an extent, but I didn't quite have the body composition goals I wanted. And I also didn't know anything about nutrition. Um, I think paleo was big in the community then, zone, oh, yeah. things like that, right? Um, I, I fasted. You could ask Andrew this, but I did fasted training for like 10 years and intermittent fasting, and I tried everything. And in 2020, when I finally had a little bit of more time to work on myself, the gyms decided to become unavailable to us. Yes. <laughs> and only a few months before had I actually um, finally listened to my coach, uh, Andrew, at the time. When he said, look, if you want to get some results, if you want to be healthier, stronger, and improve your body composition and physique, you've got to get stronger. And I'm like, you mean like the guys that over on the side of the gym who uh, they don't have to do all the wads that we're doing. They don't have to do all the cardio. They get to take all this rest time. You mean that? He's like, yeah. And I didn't believe him, yeah. but I followed his program for a while. You're listening to Just a Pinch Podcast with Injector Kristen. Join me and industry experts as we discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly of the aesthetics, wellness, and fitness industries. We started to really focus on strength. I dove into the the research. I dove into the books, uh, Starting Strength, Bigger, Leaner, Stronger, Mike Matthews following and listening to lots of podcasts and, uh, you know, went through a crash course for months on strength and started to build muscle for the first time. Part of that process, I learned I had to fuel the performance, right? My whole life, like many people who are listening to this, uh, it was about restricting. It was about moving as much as I could and trying to cut my calories as much as I could. That was the only way it was like on off. That's your diet. Uh, now I started to eat whatever I wanted. <laughs> so I started to eat whatever I wanted and went kind of the other direction, built a lot of muscle, but also added some fat. And I felt a little fluffy. This was going into uh, late 2020. So then I started diving into nutrition, right? Uh, evidence-based nutrition, like Alan Aragon and listening to guys like Lane Norton and Mike Isretel and Eric Helms and all these guys, uh, guys and, and women. And realized that what I had been missing was a flexible, sustainable approach, right? We all follow diets, keto, carnivore, um, the liver King's diet, you know, he just got outed. Uh, <laughs> and the one thing these diets all have in common is that they're rigid, 
They're rigid because they tell you what's good and what's bad. They make you make a moral judgment about your food. Oh yeah. And they don't give you choice. So we want the power. We want the, we want the power back, right? Everybody listening wants the power. And so uh, flexible dieting where you basically just track your calories and macros, but eat whatever you want for your goals and think about things like fiber and nutrients and all that as well. Totally changed uh, my mindset on what it means to eat and my relationship with food. So long story, my friend likes to say long story long. <laughs> I used that approach to lose a bunch of fat after I built this muscle. And for the first time in my life was like a little bit happy with how I looked and how I felt. And was no longer, you know, these passive aggressive comments by my friend, like, you know, hey, women like a little meat on the bones. It's okay. Or, you know, <laughs> we all have our genetic ceilings, you know, things like that. It was, hey, man, what have you been doing? Yeah, I feel great. So uh, throughout all of that, I learned a ton. And in late 2021, I took that information and I'm like, people need to understand this. People need to know it. I thought, I thought we all knew what to do, but apparently many of us are getting the wrong information you know, misinformation everywhere. So I started my podcast, Wits and Weights. And you know how challenging it is with a podcast. I mean, it's a low, yeah. it's a low barrier to entry, but it's a lot of work once you get into it. <clears throat> and through that um, journey, I met a power lifter slash friend slash eventually client who inspired me to get into coaching. Um, and the reason she inspired me to get into coaching is she recognized that I appreciate curiosity and learning. I appreciate understanding why we do things, not just being told to do something. And once you have that, you have the power. Um, I got into coaching in what is that uh, early last year. And I've been a certified nutrition coach ever since worked with a ton of people to help them, whether it's lose fat, build muscle, feel great, all of that. Wonderful. Well, that's a heck of a journey. And I can commiserate with a lot of pieces of that. Uh, I remember in my own weightlifting journey, when I kind of ducked out of the CrossFit world and into the Olympic weightlifting world, I was like, I'm going to eat and fuel my workouts because I'm lifting super heavy and I need to put on muscle and get strong. And I was big, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, I had a ton of muscle. I gained a ton of muscle, but I still had a layer of fat sitting on top of everything. So when I look back and see, you know, pictures and videos of myself from that time, yeah, I was technically fit as hell and I could move a lot of weight and I was very athletic but I did not have the body composition that I was wanting and, you know, wanted to attain. Um, so I, I completely agree that, you know, your body composition is truly made based on your diet. Um, you know, putting on muscle and lean muscle at that will definitely help you burn more calories and help achieve a physique that you're looking for. Uh, but if you're looking to get abs or have some muscles pop, you got to put it in, in the kitchen and you can't out train a bad diet. I've, I've proven that a couple times over, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and people listening, I mean, to what Kristen's saying, you said you, you did spend time building muscle and fueling yourself. And a lot of people have just never done that. There are uh, a lot of my clients, especially female clients have been dieting pretty much their whole life yeah. and been in this state of downregulated metabolism, um, not training the right way. You know, they're probably doing a lot of kind of high rep, low weight, never progressing yep. the weight or a lot of cardio Peloton, you know, sports, things like that. And, and, and there's a place for some of these things, uh, but being, but being very effective and deliberate about actually putting something very heavy, a very heavy load on your musculoskeletal system yes. for like six to nine months and fueling that 
and just doing it regardless of kind of how you look during that time and just mm-hmm. focusing on performance will set you set yourself up like you said to burn more calories have the muscles there so that you could actually lose the fat and be walking around 10 pounds heavier than you thought you needed to be or maybe 15 mm-hmm. you know? and have a better physique than you thought you could have too um, I'm sure a lot of women have seen, you know, different Insta models on, you know, Instagram of their before and afters of their body transformation after putting on muscle. And the main thing in their before and afters is their before they weighed less. And in their after they put on between 10 to 20 pounds, but they look so much fitter and they look better, heavier than they do lighter all because of body yeah. composition especially from a female perspective, you have to become less obsessed with the scale and the number that you see on the scale. Yes, it can be an indicator of, you know, some things going in the right or wrong direction, but seeing this number on the scale go up is not always a bad thing, depending on what you're trying to do. And muscle weighs more than fat. You know, we've all been told that before, but we have to be reminded of it. And that as your body composition's changing, you might see the scale go up. Um, depending on where your body fat percentage is going into things as well and where your health is. Um, but as women, we need to not be so scared of having a bulking phase per se. Um, but you also have to remember that it doesn't stop at the bulking phase and you do have to do a cut after doing that bulk. <laughs> I had yeah, many yeah. bulking phases and very poor cut phases. Uh, so you do have to do it. <laughs> it's, the less, it's the less enjoyable part of it. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's, it's fun putting on muscle. It's fun doing a, a bulking season and, you know, really working on just packing on muscle because once you pack on that muscle and you go into your cut and now you're dropping that body fat that you kind of put on at the same time that you put on your muscle. I mean, it's cool. It's cool to see the way that your body's changed and, you know, it kind of, sh- I'd say like it shrink wraps, you know, your body shrink wraps around that body that you've built and that physique that you've built. And it's a really fun reveal when you do it right. Yeah. And it becomes easier and easier. So you created, you touched on a lot of points, uh, a few that I want to cover. First of all, the idea that um, you could be in these bulking and cut phases. Once you've gotten to that initial leanness for in the first phase, because the first time you do it, there's some special things going on, like the newbie gains that you get from uh, strength training for the first time effectively, yes. where you actually get some, sometimes you get body recomposition going on. I have plenty of clients who maybe they're not willing to gain muscle. It's always a very hard sell. And they're like, but I still have 30 yes. pounds to lose, but they're willing to stay at maintenance for a few months. I, I pretty yeah. much require it when you work with me initially, no matter who you are, because we want to get all the habits in place first before we stress our body with a fat loss phase. But magically, here's what ends up ends up happening is your weight stays the same and the inches on your waist go down and your lifts go up. And all of a sudden, when you're checking in with me, your your wins are not about the scale anymore. They're about how much de- you deadlifted that week or how much greater you feel or somebody told you you look like you have a lot of energy and the clothes fit better and you haven't changed one inch, you know, one uh, ounce on the scale. Absolutely. So, so that's super important. Um, and then speaking of scale weight, I just posted something this morning because I've been thinking about this a lot. You know, scale weight is is a love hate relationship because a lot of people, especially women, define themselves by the scale. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is I ask my clients to weigh themselves every day. Somebody's like, "What? That sounds like you're just going to make it worse." But time and time again, and even just today, a podcast listener said, "Hey, I took your advice to weigh myself like five times a week, and I can't believe how much it has made me realize how unimportant scale weight is." 
it unclutters your brain and how you think about it for sure. Yeah. Because you see the fluctuations, it goes way up and down constantly. Yeah. And what we care about is the trend over time. So I make the argument that if you only weigh yourself, say once every week or two, you may be hitting a higher low point. It might look like you gained a pound when you actually lost two pounds. It's just, you can't rely on it. But if you weigh yourself every day, it takes out the mystery. And if you really have kind of a dysmorphic relationship with your scale and with your numbers, take it even a step further. If you really want to unpackage what's going on, weigh yourself in the morning dry and then weigh yourself before you go to bed. I mean, you're going to see potentially five pounds plus or minus of fluctuation. And that's going to prove to you right there, like you cannot perseverate over five pounds on either end because things fluctuate so much, especially as a woman, like your water retention and just the way that your hormone cycles affect your weight and how you're carrying water and fluid. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's insane. It's insane. And I agree with you. I really like the weigh yourself more often. So that way you become familiar and comfortable with your body fluctuations. And it's going to be a hell of a lot less of a mind fuck at the end of the day when you see that scale number and you're like, yep. And I know exactly why it's that way. And that's okay. You become less, people think that you're going to become obsessed with it because you're checking it all the time, but you're not, you're actually giving yourself a healthier relationship with it. And it's not something that you have to do indefinitely. It's something to do as a tool to give yourself a better relationship with your scale. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we, and we take it, you know, I'm a huge fan of data, so I use m- many different data points, yes. but even with scale weight, I, I tell my clients, let's focus on the trend and not the individual data points, like measure them, but then ignore mm-hmm. them. It don't mean anything. And you'll find that after about three weeks, we, we kind of know which way we're trending. You can't see a weight plateau in just a week. You just can't. All right. Correct. It takes a few yeah. weeks. And then also, how do you feel? How's your hunger? How's your stress? How's your energy? How's your recovery? Um, what do your body circumference measurements look like? How do you look in the mirror and how are your lifts? Like we yeah. have to take all those things into account to, to see the whole body perspective. Exactly. Your, your poundage on the scale is truly one of the least, if not the least most important part of the puzzle here. Um, you know, and if you want to get really into it and really look at your body composition, because of your weight in pounds or kilos on a scale is not telling you your body composition. And mm-hmm. if you're truly interested in it, and this is a really good marker that will give you great data because I, like you, love data, get on a Tanita's scale, get on an in-body scanner, do a, a, a DEXA scan. You know, there's a million different tests out there where you can really get your body composition tested and you can see how much does your skeleton weigh, how much mm-hmm. do each of your limbs weigh, you know, how much water are you carrying, how much muscle mass do you have, your body fat percentage all of those little pieces, that's going to give you what your body composition is. And that's something that's really great to track over time to show you how you're changing your body and your skeleton and everything inside of you. And then on top of that, my favorite way, especially for women to be able to feel comfortable with their progress and not the number on the scale, is how do your clothes fit? Mm-hmm. You don't even need to take out a tape measure and measure and be like, I've lost, you know, six inches off my waist. I don't really care that I've lost six inches off my waist. Cool. Uh, But how do my clothes fit? You know, keep an outfit, that one outfit that like, you just feel like a 
you know, a popover popping out of the pan <laughs> and, you know, something that like you want to wear, but you're just not well, you comfortable. You have to lay down and, on the bed to put on, right? Right. Like, yeah. so pick an outfit as your standard and use that to track your progress. You know, put on those skinny jeans, put on that crop top, see how much that muffin's popping out or if it's getting tighter. Um, so there's a lot of different subjective ways to, to track your progress, um, especially if you have a particularly hard time with the scale. Um, you know, some people have a level of body dysmorphia that maybe checking sure. the numbers on the scale the way that we just suggested maybe isn't the healthiest thing for you if you do become obsessive. And in which case, screw it, don't even get on the scale. You know, if you want to get on the scale with your coach, and then they can record the numbers, and you don't need to know what it is, you can absolutely do that too. Um, but go based on how you're feeling in your clothing, how you feel naked, you know, how does your body composition change? Um, you know, when I first started doing personal training with Rome, I really dialed in my diet at that time too, cut down on carbs. And in my first week alone, I saw five pounds fall off. And I know that that's not five pounds of fat. I'm very aware of that. That is five pounds of water. And that is five pounds of water, not (laughs) because I'm not drinking enough water, I'm dehydrated, it's because I cut my carbs. And what's the word? Carbohydrate. When you eat a lot of carbs, you are also retaining a lot of fluid too. Um, So you cut down carbs and you're going to see a big drop because you're not going to be retaining as much. Um, So I know that that initial drop that we all see when we dial in our diet, we get super excited about it. And it is something to get excited Mm -hmm. about because you're changing things with your diet and getting yourself healthier. But that's not five pounds of fat. And if I had looked at my body between day one and day seven, when I lost that five pounds, there's not a big difference. It's all just inside. I maybe felt a little less puffy, but that was it. And put it in perspective, you would have to overeat by over 17,000 calories to gain five pounds of fat. Exactly. So just think about exactly. <laughs> you know? And, and even just one pound, right? 35. Weekends. Yeah. 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 You exactly. know, weekend splurges. Oh my gosh, I gained three pounds. I promise you, you didn't gain three pounds of fat unless you did things that are just obscene all weekend and didn't take breaks. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, so I, I agree with all of that. Um, it's really the whole it's really the whole body wellness. And when we talk about body composition, there's so many factors. Um, what's nice is once you get into it, once you get into this, it becomes a lot of fun to have multiple size clothes because <laughs> then you have your your lean clothes and your bulking clothes. And we like to go with the seasons. You know, we like to periodize. Yes. Um, I eventually like to synchronize clients with, especially if you're in the Northern hemisphere, because I do have some in the Southern, um, synchronize with, you know, the holidays are when you're bulking and yep. right around now, it's like, including me personally is when you go through that fat loss phase, getting ready for spring and summer. And we actually use the carbs and, and sodium and water to manipulate how we look in a more advanced client. Like we yes. will, you know, like for a peak for a physique competition, or even just for a photo shoot or going to, uh, you know, a beach wedding. We're like, okay, let's get out of that diet about two weeks ahead of time and start manipulating our sodium and water and carb loading. So we kind of fill the muscles back up with fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, you also made a comment about like how fast the the scale changes. When you start a diet, right, you're going to have a big drop off from water because you're dropping yeah. your carbs. You shouldn't be dropping your protein. Protein stays the same pretty much regardless. And the fats and carbs come down. So you're going to release some water. And so I like to, on the way down, I like to aim for a target that's like a pound or two below the real target, right? Mm -hmm. So that you kind of, you get to the number you thought you wanted to be and then you push a little farther because when you come out of it, you're going to gain like two pounds back. Yeah. Similarly, the other way around when I'm gaining muscle, I want to overshoot it so that it comes back. Anyway, 
So what type of services do you offer for clients? Yeah. So I'm a one-on-one nutrition coach uh, exclusively. So with me, you uh, get an individualized plan, right? So unlike uh, say a macro coach or a template that you might follow, um, right from day one, we're going to onboard you and your lifestyle. I'm going to learn everything I can about how you train, the foods you like to eat and don't like to eat, whether you have non-negotiables, like you have to have that glass of wine or go out for a big meal on Saturdays. We're going to talk about your stress, your hunger, um, you know, your history with metabolism, maybe your hormones. I have a lot of clients, uh, women who are perimenopausal or in menopause and their hormone profile and their thyroid history and testing they've had is very, very, very important, uh, especially because we like to think that our hormones are the cause of a lot of these issues. And oftentimes it's just lifestyle, yes. um, but <laughs> occasionally it is hormone. So, you know, you have to kind of cover your bases, right? Yeah. You got to rule it out. Yeah. You got to rule it out. Same thing with men and testosterone. You know, I've seen weird things happen. I'm like, dude, have you had your T tested? Because I think there's something going on and that could be it. Absolutely. Um, however, sometimes when you just start lifting you get the stressors out of your life, you eat more food, uh, you find that the hormones start to regulate and all of these mm-hmm. things fix themselves, you know, miraculously. It's why we want a natural based approach when we can get it. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because that quite literally is number one when it comes to hormone regulation. And, yes. you know, if we're looking at somebody's hormone profile, their sex hormones, their cortisol, their thyroid, everything before, like, there's no point in my professional opinion in putting somebody on hormone replacement therapy for somebody that's truly sedentary and is Mm -hmm. doing nothing to augment their lifestyle choices. Like this is like a full plan. You know, it's yes, of course, if you have bottomed out testosterone, you can be replaced to a good physiologic level and just kind of feel better. Um, But for people that are truly trying to optimize their life, and if they're seeking you out for nutrition coaching and lifestyle coaching, and they're, you know, wanting to do all these things, they need to be working out because that's going to regulate a ton. And then also like number one, number two, they are neck to neck for me is sleep. Yes. If your sleep is trash, your hormones are trash. And if you're not sleeping, you're not recovering. You're missing out on growth hormone pulses that are happening when you're in your deep sleep cycle, you're missing out on a ton and you're not going to lose weight as well. If anything, you're going to, you're going to be screwing up your metabolism. Your cortisol is going to be all just a trash pile. So sleep movement and exercise and just general movement of your body. You have to do those two things first. If you think that anything's going to get better for you based on your hormones. A hundred percent. And we, we can touch on a few of those sleep. Sleep is huge. Right. And you, you mentioned cortisol, which is a tremendous aspect of that. And the uh, impact that it has on cortisol also cascades to leptin and ghrelin in your appetite so that people who get less sleep, just eat more. And if you're using a flexible diet where you're tracking everything, you can force yourself to stay with the calories, but you're just going to be hungry and hungry or doing it, especially mm-hmm. in fat loss phase. So we've got to have that extra sleep. I just told a client um, yesterday who's now got a more extreme aesthetics goal. I'm like, we've got to get you to nine hours of sleep. I know in the past when we started, it was, oh, try to get eight and stop using yeah. screens before bed. No, no, no. Now we got to get like Tom Brady level of sleep because yeah. that right there is going to, your expenditure is going to go up. You'll see it happen. Your metabolism is going to go up the amount of calories you burn. The other thing is um, sleep preferentially uh, burns body fat from around your body. But when you don't get enough sleep, um, visceral fat storage increases. 
It's like a protection mechanism, especially for women, especially older women because of the effects of estrogen and fat storage in the abdomen. And that is dangerous fat. That's like the visceral fat. So absolutely. And for people listening, there's two, there's more than two types. We're going to talk about like the two main types of body fat here. So there's subcutaneous fat and there's visceral fat. Subcutaneous fat is what is layered on top of our muscles, between our muscles and our skin. And that's what we can pinch. So the pinchable body fat, if you can kind of grab some fat, that's subcutaneous. Um, And the visceral fat, if you've seen, and I'm sure you all have, this is America, somebody that is just protuberant. So their belly is almost kind of firm and just larger, but there, you really can't pinch a whole heck of a lot. Now, mind you, there could be a variety of issues going on, like with their liver in some of those cases, but a lot of that is what I call non-pinchable visceral body fat. And that's the fat that's going to be tucked in all around your organs. And that stuff is no bueno. I love it, Kristen. It's like a tag team here. You're explaining these <laughs> things for, for the audience. I love it because I get on my show sometimes and go off on these these nerdy tangents. Um, but I do like the words you're using today, perseverate and protuberance. I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But we're talking, What I mean, what what's the big message here? The big message is there are probably three or four big things that you may not be doing right now, if you're listening, that if you can just develop those foundational habits, maybe working with a coach, maybe listening to great podcasts like this, maybe you're just a get up and self-motivated person, you're going to go do it. Um that once you put them in place, you're going to start to see a lot of these issues potentially get mitigated, right? And yes. so do that first and then start looking at the other things like the blood work and the hormones and so on. Exactly. And don't overwhelm yourself either because this whole realm of wellness and fitness and nutrition and just body optimization, as I like to call it, can be really overwhelming because there are so many different facets that you need to touch on. And for somebody that's going from the couch to suddenly deciding like, you know, they went to their doctor's office and they got some blood work back. That's now scaring the shit out of them. Mm -hmm. And they're like, I got to do something, you know? So we're going from nothing sedentary to all of a sudden wanting to do a whole overhaul. I wouldn't actually recommend doing a whole overhaul right off the bat. You're setting yourself up for failure um, and also just shocking your system in a way that if you develop an issue in one area, you're not going to know where that issue is coming from. Start easy, start just tracking your food, you know, write down what you're eating. Don't even care too much about what it is that you're eating yet. Just get comfortable tracking it and paying attention to your portions and what you're doing. So become thoughtful about your choices. Go for a walk every day. You don't need to go run out and get a gym membership and a personal trainer. I mean, by all means, go ahead if that's what is important to you right now, but just go for a walk every day, you know, have dinner and go for a walk or go for a walk, you know, before you have your meal, something to get your metabolism revved up and just take baby steps. You know, you can make a list of all these different metrics that you eventually want to hit, but take them in small digestible chunks that are going to set you up for success and not for failure by overwhelming yourself. Um, you try to do too much at once. There's very few people that can do that. Not to say that you can't, um, but for, I'd say for the majority of the population, if you're going from zero to a hundred, you know, it's, it's going to knock you back down on your butt pretty quick. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and you know what a lot of people do? A lot of people jump into dieting regardless. Like yes. most people, I, I bet most people listening here can say in the affirmative that 
yes, most of the, most of the year, every time I, I get a little bit heavier, I feel like I'm out of shape. I try to diet in some way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Jump and on keto, the, jump yeah. on Atkins, do yeah. something. And that's one of the most stressful things you can do. And so I would, I would take one of these other practices that build you up, that enhance your health, yeah. that, you know, uh, that don't stress you out and work there. So be, whether it is getting 2000 more steps a day than you do this week, whether it's, you know, looking into how you're going to maybe strength train if you haven't done before and you're interested in that, yeah. um, getting that extra half hour of sleep, yeah. you've got, you've got to figure it out. And then if I'm not a huge fan of journaling personally, but some way of tracking or documenting if journaling is for you, that it's awesome yeah. and correlating that with what you're doing. Yes. So if you if you're tracking your food, for example, when are you hungry? When do you go to the craving? When do you have that trigger? Um, because as soon as you can document that, you can then diagnose it. You can come up with a workaround. You can solve that problem. Exactly. So I know, like for me personally, I don't personally like journaling and documenting. But every time that I start a new fitness and nutrition program, I force myself to do it for two weeks. And that's what I find works for me because what it does is it makes me mindful of my habits. Um, it makes me mindful of all those little micro decisions that I'm making. Um, you know, am I reaching for a diet Coke? Am I, am I craving sweets? Am I, you know, stopping myself from going to the local bakery for a bagel and cream cheese in the morning? It just makes you mindful of it. And it makes you mindful of your portion sizes as well. And then for me personally, it just takes two weeks and then I'm dialed in and I say, okay, I know what I need to be eating. I know my portion sizes. I'm familiar with it and I can go from there. Um, other people do need a lot more accountability and do like to write everything down or track it in the MyFitnessPal app. There's a variety of different things out there, but I find that just becoming mindful of your habits is going to make you make changes, whether you want to or not, you know, you can disgust yourself with some of the things that you learn about your habits that you had never brought to the front of your brain before. Oh yeah. But yeah, but awareness is huge. I mean, tracking your food, as much as people say oh, that that sounds inconvenient. Um, it's much more inconvenient to not know what the hell's going on with your body yeah. for years and years and years and be totally unhappy with it. So if you just track your food and see how much protein you're getting, I, yep. I'll just put this action out for the listeners. Seriously, one of the most important things you could do is figure out how much protein you're eating. I guarantee it is probably a third of what you need. It's probably a third 100%. of what you need. Yep. So, when I yeah. started back in January, tracking my food for my two weeks, trying to figure it out, my protein was abysmal. My mm -hmm. carbs were ridiculous. My sugar was through the roof. And I'm like, huh, I wonder why I was struggling to lose weight all last year. You know, and you just assume that you know what your caloric content is every day that you're taking in. So it's just good to know, like, what's what am I taking in every day? And actually have that data, we love data, uh, in front of you to then move forward with. And then you just have a much better idea of, you know, what you're taking in each day. Yeah, it's true. And and every every these are tools. These are just tools that give us data that we can then act on. And at the end of the day, don't wait for somebody to motivate you. I mean, you're already listening to this podcast. I mean, you have some, you know, motive, inherent motivation to do something. You're listening to what Kristen puts on here, you know, take some action to get that awareness. Um, you know, I have, I have, I have a client who she was struggling with uh, hunger and cravings and we tried all sorts of strategies and they weren't working for her until finally um, we had this like hunger scale where it's like a, like a one through 10 and you determine whether it's physical or physiological hunger in the moment. And if it's above a certain number, 
you basically take a tiny bite of something, you wait and then see what happens. And she's like, oh, this is a game changer. It was just a silly little tool, right? That nothing else had worked for her until she found it. So you have to be curious. You have to be experiment. You have to go out there and try things, but you need good information too, right? Right, Kristen, which is why we do these podcasts. Oh, I've done some, some weird things in my past. I went out and bought and like, this is just the science brain in me here. I went out and bought myself a glucometer Mm -hmm. and test strips. And I decided this was over quarantine. This was like 2020. So there's nothing better to do than sit at the the kitchen table and take your blood sugar and test carbs. (laughs) Um, So every day I would test a new carb and I wanted to find out which carbs spiked my glucose the most and the least. So then I could dial in and make better carb choices for myself. Mm -hmm. You know, white rice, brown rice, sweet potato, potato. You have a certain weight amount of each carb you do a preprandial blood glucose. So before you eat, you take it, you write it down, you eat your carb load that's pre-measured and weighed. And then 15 minutes later, you take another one and you see where you're at. And let me tell you, like super fun, necessary, absolutely not, um, but super fun to do. And yeah. uh, there's some um, fitness and wellness programs out there now that are actually taking it even step further than my crazy idea. And they're doing continuous blood glucose monitors. So you get your little monitor sticks to the back of your arm. You change it out about every week or two, and you have an app on your phone and you have a 24 seven access to your blood sugar. So you can see how all sorts of different things, food, exercise, everything, you know, you look at your entire map of your blood glucose. Um, again, necessary, absolutely not. Yeah, it can always get fun. dangerous when you absolutely. have that much. <laughs> if you love to obsess over data and you're super interested in it, hell yeah. Um, you know, that would be something that I'd recommend for somebody that was more on like the metabolic syndrome, you know, pre-diabetes, early type two diabetes, and you it's super important for you, like for your health and your wellness and longevity to really get your blood sugars under control. So that is something that I would recommend for that. The average person, like, unless you're just a data whore and love to find these things unnecessary, but super fun. Oh, and a quick hack. So speaking of natural remedies, like we were talking about before, a quick hack for blood sugar control. Um, Can you guess what the most effective thing is for regulating blood sugar? And it's more effective than type 2 diabetes medication. Any any guess, Kristen, what it might be? Exercise? Pretty much walking. It's walking after a meal. Yeah. Walking after a meal for 10 minutes has been shown to regulate blood sugar better than anything else. So it's again, just, you know, we, we jump to drugs, you know, when there might be a simple solution in front of us. Absolutely. And um, just a fun, I mean, believe me, I could go on like a super deep dive on this and I'd love to do another episode specifically on this with you Um, down the realm of, I mean, who hasn't heard the word ozempic or semaglutide lately? You know, it is popping everywhere you look, everybody's on it, using it, you know, it's becoming just part of our speech now, ozempic face, ozempic diet. There are a slew of restaurants now in California that are offering an Ozempic menu. So it is a specified menu of smaller portion sizes because people utilizing this weight loss type 2 diabetes drug Mm -hmm. can't eat the, the quantities that all these restaurants are putting out. And like my first thought was like, why? why can't we just have smaller portion sizes in restaurants anyways? Like this Mm -hmm. is like America, like the land of gluttony where we have, you know, 
endless baskets of fries and, you know, just biscuits and butter and just everything. I like the idea of the Ozempic uh, menu. Everything should <laughs> just, just be Just for people not on Ozempic too, right? Right. Just for everybody, yeah. just better portion sizes. <laughs> well, I took my wife on a date uh, last week and we went to a really nice restaurant. Actually, you might know it. It's um, a present company in wherever that is. And uh, the the more you pay for a meal, the smaller it is. So if you want yes. small portion sizes, just go to a very fancy restaurant. Exactly. Uh, but speaking of Ozempic, I mean, there's you can get into some thorny conversations about it because there's a lot going on there. That's the Tons. GLP-1 agonist or whatever um, in that. They were diabetes medication. Now they're used as a weight loss because of appetite suppressant. I have one client who was on it because of diabetes, and I've seen firsthand what it does. It, it does completely suppress your appetite to the point yes. where you can be on dangerously low calories. Yes. And you know, I'm nine out of 10, I'm nine out of 10 on my appetite. I'm perfectly fine. Yeah. Like, okay, that's kind of, that could be kind of thorny, but for people who need it or people who are excessively overweight, it could be a great, you know, starting point to get where you need to be as long as you have a plan for getting off of it. Eventually. That's what I would say. Yes. Yes. It needs to be done judiciously under medical supervision with a plan and not just I mean, yes, it, it is absolutely safe long-term, you know, type two diabetics are on it. I mean, quasi indefinitely, and it's okay for that. It's not a new drug. It's been out for a long, long time. Um, I find that it's, um, it's really helpful for the people that need to lose a lot of weight that also big time struggle with lifestyle modifications, mm-hmm. people that don't have a healthy relationship with food because in its own right, yes, it's going to help you know, with your insulin sensitivity and just your glucose uptake. So you're going to have some improvements in your weight based on that. But a majority of the weight loss is coming because you are not craving sugar. You're not craving alcohol. uh, You're eating smaller portion sizes. It's slowing down your gut motility. So you're eating a meal and that food's staying in your stomach for a good seven hours before transiting and moving through. Uh, But like you said, you can be on dangerously low calories because of it, because either you're feeling sick from side effects, um, or you just genuinely don't have an appetite. So some people do struggle to get in the nutrition that they need to get through a day and and be safe and healthy. Yeah. And and I say, I'll I'll leave it to the medical professionals working with you because I don't, you know, I wouldn't dive into that myself. It's outside my scope of practice, but it does seem like a better solution than, than physically, you know, physical surgery or gastric bypass or something like that. I would think, um, just because it's not a permanent thing, it's just, you know, yeah. pharmacological. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. 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 Bariatric surgery. It's great when it's indicated and needed, but I mean, I truly do think that with some of these drugs, you'll see a decrease in these surgeries because um, surgery doesn't come without risk either. And some surgeries are reversible, but a lot of them aren't and can cause a lot of other further issues. Yeah. So good to have a, a full toolbox. I like to say. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're not in that like dangerous uh, state for your health where you have to take action right now, going back to our original dis- discussion about principles, look at the natural um, approach first, yes. you know, and, and natural meaning just making choices that you have full control over right now. Yes. And it mean, needs to be know? sustainable. And it has to be sustainable, right? Nothing drastic for yep. sure. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I think this was a great conversation. And uh, hopefully all the listeners, she gained a lot from it. And if you have any questions, you can, of course, reach out and you can find Philip. His website is witsandweights.com and you are on all of the socials as well. Uh, So you can find him on that name, Wits and Weights, everywhere. That's right. Yeah. And the podcast too, Wits and Weights. So check it out. Yes.
Thank you, Kristen. Thank you. Just a Pinch podcast was written, recorded, edited, and produced by Kristen Jem. 